Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. And I'm Jaleesa Arce. Jaleesa, it's Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. My question to you this week is a very specific, not at all broad. What does today mean to you? Thanksgiving. I mean, I know we want to keep it light, but, you know, the whole genocide thing is like comes to mind. (laughs) Um... I have, a, I have a weird relationship with Thanksgiving because as I've learned more and more about what it really means, how it really started, you know, the pilgrims coming and like the pilgrims weren't even like the first Europeans to come to America. It was like the Spanish, like a lot earlier than that. Um, so it's it's interesting, but I, I like to give thanks on Thanksgiving to the, the farm workers that make sure that we have food on the table to, um, to eat and... Uh, you know, I give thanks to them. And Thanksgiving has just become more about like eating good food and really being grateful for all the things that the universe, God, whatever you call it, uh, has bestowed upon me and my family. And I'm just really grateful. I'm really grateful today. That's how I feel. I feel like Thanksgiving is really just about being grateful now for the things, especially after um, almost two years of being acutely aware of why uh, we have things to be grateful for. So we're going to get right into it this week. I'm joined by Katie Couric, Julissa Arce, Dana Schwartz, Akila Hughes, and Caroline Reston to tackle the following questions. Why is the media twisting the narrative around Katie Couric's book? What is the actual appropriate time to eat Thanksgiving dinner? And is it okay to mix stuffing and champagne in your mouth? All this and more coming up. I'm going to bring in the other ladies who are joining us, and I am grateful for them. First up, she's a TikTokress, a writer, and her new book, Anatomy, A Love Story, is available for pre-order now. It's Dana Schwartz. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And if you will please send us all your galleys so that we can properly promote your book, too. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Next up, she literally does 
everything. She's Fauci Pup's mother and the former host of What A Day. It's Akila Hughes. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, you know you're the dowager of decor, so yes. we're going <laughs> to not do a holiday episode without you. And yes. finally, she's a Bravo historian and crooked media producer generally, but our producer specifically, Caroline Reston. Hi, Ooh. thanks so much for having me on. And Dana, also, I'm obsessed with your TikToks, which is why I called you a TikTok tress. I had never I heard that That word. is maybe the most embarrassing <laughs> thing in the world. The story behind the TikToks is I have a young adult novel coming out, and my little sister informed me that uh, no teenagers are on Twitter, which is like the social media platform that I'm on most of the time. (laughs) And so I was like, oh, oh, shit. (laughs) I have to do something. And so I I started TikTok and then quickly got addicted. They're so good. I'm learning a lot from them. So thank you. Thank you. I only see the TikToks that people post on Instagram, but I am going to go look up your TikToks on TikTok because I do have the app. So now I'm going to have to go look them up. <laughs> it's addicting. I guess I'm going to have to officially get the fucking app. I really was only on it for Shanty TikTok last year, but yeah, I guess time's coming. All right. So we're going to be talking about all things Thanksgiving and play some of our listener submitted voice memos today. So it's going to be a riot. Akila, what did you do last year? Well, uh, you know, I'm not a role model. <laughs> you know, I, I technically, you know, I sheltered in place. My mother could not stay away. So <laughs> she uh, insisted on coming over. We had a nice little outdoor thing with my mom, me, and then two friends that I knew from New York, but who had also moved to L.A. And they brought their dog. And it was very sweet. I cooked my first turkey on my own. How'd that go? It was really good. Oh, it was great. It was um, it was actually I got the recipe from a TikTok. It was Kamala Harris's <laughs> recipe, and um, she knows how to make turkey. It's really, really good. I brined it for two days beforehand, so it was just juicy and perfect. But yeah, mostly I cooked. Uh, I put on makeup for the first time in 2020. I think <laughs> I took hella selfies. I ate too much, and then we played Jackbox games on on the Switch. Just lots of trivia and stuff. So it was kind of it. That was a. Uh, you know, sort of a typical Thanksgiving in my life, I guess, just sans most family. Caroline, what did you do last year? Okay, I guess I also technically didn't follow the rules, but I did quarantine <laughs> for those two <laughs> weeks. And then I drove home and spent it with my family, but we did like a much more pared down version. But it ended up being a really stressful Thanksgiving, and probably it was karma for me playing cities, but I was straightening my sister's hair. This is really horrible, actually. Maybe I shouldn't even tell us, but I was straightening my sister's hair and my baby niece accidentally touched the hair straightener. And if you don't know, those are so hot and it just wrecked Thanksgiving and I felt so responsible and it was actually a really terrible evening. And she was just crying. If you want to know what a one-year-old looks like when they touch a 400-degree hair straightener, it's, it's, hell. It's horrible. (laughs) Caroline, so like sky's the limit for you this Thanksgiving. (laughs) It can only go up. No one's hair is getting straightened. Oh my God. Dana, what about you? I followed the rules. I had like just started dating this guy that I'm now engaged to, but my family's in Chicago and his family is in Portland. And so I think both of us were like, we really want to go home, but we can't. And so we had our first Thanksgiving together, just the two of us. And like, it was a pretty new relationship. Like what, November, we had just started dating like a few months before, but I cooked my first turkey. Oh. Uh, 
Yeah. And like made a full Thanksgiving meal and he helped and it was like kind of really lovely. Like I missed my family a lot and I think he missed his family. But like as far as these things go, it was like kind of nice. And then we fell in love and now we're getting married. Oh, my that God. That is the thing. And oh, had yeah. like very lovely engagement rollout, I have to say. Thank you. Yeah. I, I mean, that first Thanksgiving, like early on, the two of us being like, let's do this together. Definitely like the pandemic sped up our relationship in certain ways. And like that was a that's a big milestone that we hit much sooner than we would have had there not been a global pandemic. And nice because no parents around for that first. Yeah, less less awkward. I I also got to show off like, oh, look at me. I can make a turkey. I can bake a pie. Look at these conventional gender roles that I'm capable of. (laughs) Julissa, what about you? My husband and I did go see his parents for Thanksgiving, uh, but they were part of our bubble. So during the whole lockdown, you know, we only saw two friends and Fernando's parents. So... We were saying, but it was, it was sort of like, because, you know, we're Mexican. And so anytime there is any kind of holiday, it's like at least 40 people coming through. And so the fact that it was like five of us was weird. And we knew that other people, you know, down the street, Fernando's cousin or aunt or whatever, were having their own Thanksgiving. And so we did like FaceTime with them and, Mm. um, even though they were like right down the street. <laughs> that was really weird. So yeah, it was strange not having like tons of people around. But I made my world famous lasagna as I do every year for Thanksgiving. Um, and so that kind of made it feel normal. Like I only do this lasagna once a year because it takes for fucking ever. So this year, are you going back to the very big Thanksgiving that you would normally have? No, we're still just keeping it small. Although. My nephews, my 15 and 17-year-old nephew, who have never left Texas, are coming to visit us for the whole week of Thanksgiving. Hey. And so we're taking them to Disney and Universal. Oh my God. That's and- going to be so nice. Yeah. It's going to be great. I'm really excited to have them um, with us this year. Is Disney going to be Christmas decor now? Oh, yeah. oh. It's already Christmas. It's already, oh, yeah. it's already it's Christmas. Christmas. <laughs> that fun. electric it's Christmas. light parade. Wait, is yeah. is anybody going back to sort of pre-COVID big Thanksgiving bash? I'm not getting on a plane. No, me neither. <laughs> it's no. not pre-COVID, but I am getting on a plane. I'm going back to Chicago to be with my family. Have you been on a plane yet? Yes. Okay. How do you feel about it? I don't love it, um, but I am vaxxed and boosted. And my family, my parents are over 60. They're vaxxed and boosted. Uh, I just, you know, wear a mask the whole time. And I think like, okay, as far as these things go, like my experiences on planes was like everyone was wearing a mask. I have not been on a plane so far where there was like one guy making his stand. Uh, (laughs) So yeah, like Thanksgiving, my family's Jewish. And so Christmas is not a thing with us. So like Thanksgiving in the fall is like the one holiday that really matters to my family just in terms of getting together. So that is like, I'll be uncomfortable on a plane for two hours, but it's going to be worth it to see my family. Yeah, I think the same for us. Like last year, it was just mom, dad, sister, brother-in-law, niece. And my parents, you guys, they're like my best friends now. I mean, we were in the bubble for so long. And the only people who I saw face-to-face, aside from a couple of my neighbors, that um, I was like, how could I ever do anything now but go see them for Thanksgiving? Because... 
I do the mushrooms, you guys. That's my role. Um, <laughs> you'd be surprised how long mushrooms can take when you make as many as we do, and they have to be perfectly I brown. make the pumpkin pie, but mm. I might also do the mushrooms. So, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm ordering this year. Are up. you? I don't. I. It just takes too long. I love cooking on Thanksgiving. This is. It's like the best occasion. I hate it. I want to cook all week beforehand. I hate like the day of. I'm like now it's a deadline. <laughs> now people are hungry. <laughs> people are in my way. I would rather just be like I ordered it three weeks out. Delicious. Perfect. But like also, don't you want to just like this is the thing I think that I've started learning as I get older. Less is more. I want to enjoy the day and not be like tethered to the center island all day by the time yeah, by the time dinner comes cheese. i'm like does anyone have a leave and it's like don't give me one give me two you guys this yes. is why for 30 years i have every single year become less and less helpful so by now whenever i go home they're just like caroline just go stand over there and pour people drinks when they get here. Just do, do literally care. nothing. Do <laughs> what they said last year was, they were like, Caroline, just watch the baby. And so. <laughs> okay, I was trying to be nice to my sister and straighten her hair because I am a giver also a little bit on Thanksgiving. And then, you know, I just need to not be there. Wait, so I have a question in terms of the flow of the day, because I feel like this is potentially controversial. Starting with Caroline, what time do you eat? Um, well, every year there's the same conversation and my mom is like, okay, what about like 4.30? And we're all like, wait, what? So my, my, my mom like doesn't understand American tradition, even though she's been here yeah. since she was like 25. Where's your mom from? She's from Spain. So we are people who don't like to eat until it is dark out. So when daylight savings happens, it's like if anyone's hanging out with us, it's like 10 p.m. And then we're like maybe thinking about dinner soon. But we are late dinner Thanksgiving people like we will start appetizers at like seven seven thirty and then eat at like eight eight thirty and very then, Spanish yeah just go Messed into up. the evening eating and drinking super late okay based, and it's the best based on response Akila, you're next two o'clock okay <laughs> what? Two thirty. Two o'clock. yes it's the moment the bird is done that's lunch everybody shows up Yes, because you want to fall asleep and wake back up and eat again. <laughs> you go to your friend, your family's house, you're playing cards. It's like the pies are out. We're eating. <laughs> then everyone's a little tipsy. People start napping on the couch. And then it's like, let's go for round two. We do it like all day. And then like you're done by 730 or 8. Like you're going home. Do you go back to the table and eat again? Or it's I mean, like you're I like the second time you the just house. get a plate and sit somewhere else. Like you sit on the couch, <laughs> yes. you sit on the floor, you sit at the card table, you sit on the porch. But the first time you sit at the table. But people, we don't want to wait because everybody cooks early. Right. They cook during the parade. That's our like our time is like you get up early on Thanksgiving, you watch the parade. Also, the turkey takes forever. So then you're like, okay, well now that it's done, we got to eat. So yeah, I uh, I I cannot imagine seven o'clock. I would that actually riot. <laughs> Is my dream. That is my dream. That's we crazy. have yeah. we, gotta eat early. we have snacks. We call them noshes. We have noshes around one, which is like shrimp and cheese and some other stuff. But honestly, I'm like every year I I lobby for fewer and fewer noshes because guys, I want to eat by five. Like to me, yes, that's like the the end of times. And ever since things have been like hinky the past couple of years, and so one you. My husband recalls us eating dinner at 8 p.m. I said we were doing dishes by 8, that we had eaten by 7.15. Either way, he was like, that's not going to happen again. And I was like, I know, I know. So I actually <laughs> I go over to my parents' house by like 
10, 30, 11 to be the taskmaster. I'm like, all right. All right. Yeah, like wrap it up. <laughs> you're top chef. You're like five minutes, chefs. <laughs> five minutes, chefs. Well, now that there's a baby niece, now that there's a tiny baby. Well, she's not tiny. She's three now. But it's like she gets in the mix and everyone wants to like talk to her and play with her. And I was like, guys, guys, bird in the oven, bird in the oven. Let's go, let's go, let's go. So we norm- last year we ate at 530, which was better. Jaleesa, what about you? Okay, so for a long time, when I lived in New York, uh, like for 10 years, I never went home for Thanksgiving because that's not like a big Mexican holiday thing. Uh, So we would always have Friendsgiving in New York and our Friendsgiving would start at 11 a.m. And there would be, you know, some appetizer at 11 and then we would eat around two. And uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah, we would eat around two and then watch the Texas football game. At that time, we used to play Texas A&M every Thanksgiving. And then by like eight, some people would have already drank too much where they were like done for the night. But those of us that could hang, you know, 8 p.m. was like round two. Uh, Thank you. The wine was flowing starting at 11 a.m. And it was wonderful. Now... I'm married and go to my in-laws and we start later. It's more like five or six, uh, which is still earlier than like Christmas at my home. Christmas at home in Mexico, we eat dinner at midnight on the 24th. That's what time is that, that. Is that considered so early much. or late? Midnight? No, that's, that's, I don't know. I guess that's a good question. <laughs> Uh, we don't like on, on Christmas day, we don't really like, it's my little brother's birthday. So we celebrate his birthday, but so all Christmas stuff happens on the 24th. Um, but Thanksgiving, yeah, now it's like six or seven, like, you know, every other day dinner time, (laughs) which is why I would prefer 2 PM. Like it's Thanksgiving. It's special. Let's start eating at two. I also just hate eating other food on Thanksgiving. Like, I, I don't want to have waffles yeah. and I don't want to have, have lunch eggs. and sandwich. I'm like, let's start with turkey yeah. Yeah. and stuffing. Let's keep it moving. Let's and then let's so end with turkey and stuffing 12 hours later. Yes, I exactly. get it. And just like indigestion and regret. <laughs> but like, that's the whole point. <laughs> you eat too much that day and then you regret it for the rest totally. of the Totally. Because you're like, I can't use the restroom. <laughs> like, no, no. I, I have a, I have a, a, a fast. Um, that's going to start um, November 29th through December 3rd, specifically to <laughs> undo what I'm about to do on Thanksgiving. Wait, I don't know that bodies work like that. <laughs> I don't know. Just, like, I unplugged it. All control delete. <laughs> yes. That I feel, like it can, I feel like it can't hurt, you know? I, yeah, mean, I, I mean, look, hurt. I'm not a doctor. Don't Dana, what about you? When do you eat? We eat like normal dinner time, like six o'clock. Six o'clock. Yeah. I feel like we. <laughs> Sorry, I'm judging everyone. No, so like, like normal dinner <laughs> time. We will watch the parade. Will be on. Like my siblings will all file over. We'll all be you know cooking all day. We'll be snacking all day. You know there'll be appetizers out and we'll be. That's the best part. Yeah. Prolong no. that as much as you can. Exactly. And no. then we'll have like an early-ish but normal time dinner, like six. And then you're full all night and you get to like digest and then, you know, play cards or play a game and hang out all night. I dig that. I feel like you guys, I mean, like after we're done eating, it is like a very militant march to the kitchen where dishes begin. And so it's Wait, like- Alexa, your Thanksgiving sounds so stressful. <laughs> yeah, and nothing about Thanksgiving should be described as militant, I think. 
It's militant. It's militant. <laughs> is there always like a designated person who does the dishes? Like does someone offer or is it always like, oh, Well, you fine. guys, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> but when you're the 45-year-old who doesn't have a child to put to bed, the dishes the dishes come home to you. So that's where that's where I am. But let's hear from a listener on this one. Hey, Hysteria. This is Erin from Texas. And my Thanksgiving hill that I will die on is that Thanksgiving dinner is just that. Dinner. This year will be my 17th Thanksgiving with my husband, and every year we argue over what time we should eat. I believe Thanksgiving dinner should be eaten during the dinner hour or close to it. My husband, on the other hand, believes Thanksgiving dinner should be eaten (laughs) no later than 1 p.m., cleaned up and put away by the time the afternoon football game starts. He is wrong, and I look forward to holding my ground and arguing about this for many years to come. Thank you. Yeah, oh, I don't know. Wow. So, so how, are y'all, how are y'all still together? It's dinner. It's, you got to build I mean, up your it? appetite. You got to get hungry all day. Enjoy the smells. Enjoy the buildup. Mm-hmm. I think you all have like a very healthy, like, you know, you're eating snacks all day. I hate that. The moment I have even anything on my stomach that's not dinner, I'm pissed. <laughs> that's how they get Where I'm like, well, I just ate that celery or I ate a handful of cheese while I was grating it. And now it's real. And now it's fucked. Like, Wait. Okay. So based on that, Akila. What is your can't live without food on Thanksgiving? I mean, I am black and I I stand by it. I think they're right. It's the baked mac and cheese. Okay. And it matters who brings it. My mom is the one who brings it. She's giving me the recipe. I've not perfected it yet, which is why she has to show up at my house every year. She will not allow anybody to suffer the family. And she's it, black families are very judgy about food, especially like potluck style group dinners so like the one year that my other aunt tried to bring the mac and cheese aunt gloria god bless it was like the talk of the table i had this one aunt who tried <laughs> green bean table. casserole which is not not a, like we don't like that we do like regular greens but like she was like we're gonna try green casserole she has heard about it for the past 20 years <laughs> like, remember that time you brought those cold green beans like it's not good so yeah uh mac and cheese final answer love it okay jaleesa Obviously, I've already said that my lasagna is... <laughs> what? Is there anything that you don't make that you look forward to? I mean, don't get me wrong. My mother-in-law is an amazing cook. Like, everything she makes is amazing. I just think, you know... Allegedly. I, no, it, <laughs> it's true. I mean, I it's it's amazing. I will never be able to cook like her. Um I've just, Except lasagna. <laughs> lasagna. Lasagna, it's like the one thing I can hold out. over her head, you know? Is lasagna typically a Thanksgiving food? Listen. I have had it at Italian Thanksgiving. <laughs> Italian Thanksgiving. Yeah, like my, I've been to one Italian Thanksgiving and that was it. <laughs> Sounds delicious, but I've never seen a big old pot of Thanksgiving. Pot? Pan? Lasagna? Yeah. What is it in? <laughs> it's like in a, a, a dish. A dish yeah. of lasagna? A dish. A dish. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, I don't know. I don't I don't even know when I started making this lasagna. I just think one day I was like, oh, I'm going to make this recipe and have then added things to it. and. Um, I guess the other thing is uh, pumpkin pie. Okay. Like, I really, I I just don't think it's Thanksgiving unless you've had pumpkin pie. I agree. Like, Mm. you cannot call your dinner a Thanksgiving dinner or lunch or whatever without pumpkin pie. (laughs) (laughs) Your Thanksgiving lunch. Just the shade, the small shade. (laughs) I used to have Thanksgiving lunch all the time. I miss it. She didn't call it brunch. That's a good point. It's not that early. You know, it's definitely more of a lunchtime, afternoon, après ski. <laughs> That's how we do. That's how we do ours. Dana, what about you? I think stuffing is my quintessential Thanksgiving food because I love stuffing. My mom makes homemade challah bread and then uses Ooh. the homemade challah mm. bread to oh turn into stuffing. And it's just amazing. And that's like a food 
I love stuffing and I feel like stuffing is delicious and, and you don't eat it the rest of the year. So for me, stuffing is like the quintessential Thanksgiving food with like mushrooms and gravy and vegetables and like, ugh, the challah. Mm. So yeah, stuffing like turkey is fine, but it has to be there. Uh, turkey is <laughs> turkey's the worst. You gotta spatchcock it. You gotta eat <laughs> yeah. the dark meat. It's fine. I agree that pumpkin pie is like amazing, and we make a pumpkin pie every year. But I just I love stuffing. Really good stuffing. Dana, my favorite is stuffing too. But here's what I have to know: Does yours have anything non-traditional in it? Um, I think no, because. I have, I'm one of four siblings and I feel like I'm not picky, but like the rest of my siblings are picky and that we love tradition. And so every time my mom's ever been like, oh, like, why don't we do like an apple sausage stuffing this year? One of my siblings would be like, no, like that's not the way we do it. So it's mostly <laughs> just like the turkey gravy and mushrooms. I guess this is where the mushrooms come in. We used to have celery, but I think one of my siblings doesn't like celery. So it's just a very standard wow. stuffing. They, they vetoed the mise en place. Yeah, like they've tough. like vetoed. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's. Yeah. They're like, if it's going to taste like something. Yeah. Else, <laughs> <laughs> just toast the bread. And yeah, give I just want gravy soaked challah bread. <laughs> Caroline, what is your must have? Okay, I feel like I'm really painting a terrible picture of myself. I but can't it is wait. the truth. <laughs> I love stuffing, but okay, so on Thanksgiving, a real treat is I always bring a bottle of Veuve Clicquot. Oh, and, and that I pronunciation love... one more time. That was, that was, Veuve Clicquot. that was Greg from Succession right there. Wow. That's who you just channeled. <laughs> yes. um, okay, it's this not sounds, my favorite. It's, it sounds truly <laughs> disgusting, but I swear it's amazing. Take a bite of your stuffing, gravy and cranberry. Mm-mm-mm. Chew a few times and just drink a little bit of the champagne. Mix it all together. It is so <laughs> Wait, good. It is my it favorite. Where in yeah. your mouth? In your mouth. In your <laughs> yes. mouth. Like it's a smoothie. Uh, no. <laughs> just like, like, like bite it enough and then just put, just take a little sip of champagne. It is I luxury. I am sending this clip to Ina Garten. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So have me on to show to cook this dish, <laughs> which is in my mouth. Which is... Yeah, you're like, so then I'm going to swirl it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. You can have it out of my mouth or do it in your oh, own. Oh, <laughs> my God. <laughs> Caroline is bringing all the hits. Oh, my God. By the way, no <laughs> one even knows I'm doing it at dinner. You know, like they don't even know this dish. Wait, happening. so you've just shared this with America? You've never shared it with your yes, whole family? I've talked about it out loud. Chaos. I'm real, Chaos, I, Caroline. I love mixing foods and um, drinks in my mouth. My is so gross. <laughs> oh, this is not being cut. Wait. This is not being cut. No, okay, I'll give you in. one more. It's so good. Not Thanksgiving related. You know, goldfish, extra cheddar. Yes, sure. Yeah. And then a hot chocolate. So eat your no, goldfish extra cheddar, no. let it get no. stuck in your teeth, and then drink hot chocolate. It is so fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> It could be as rare on its own. These, <laughs> these are this is like if Ratatouille I, was actually a rat <laughs> in a restaurant and not a chef. Like he's like, I eat the garbage and then I drink at the same time. <laughs> Like whoa! I, I, I wish I was lying. I'm not. Oh my god! Oh my god! Smoothies. I I am oh. stunned. I I, stunned. I don't even like I don't even like my food to touch on the plate. So yeah. this is my worst nightmare. I like to mix weird shit. I'm very experimental. <laughs> this is uh, incredible. Um, okay, we're gonna like we're gonna 
We're going to move off food. Okay. We're just going to move yeah. off food for a little bit. Um, okay. So thematically in your house, what does your house look like? Do you have special decor and what are you, what are you wearing and the people who are with you wearing? Is this a get gussied up? Is this carve out a pumpkin and make a flower arrangement? Or is this people in their pajamas, dowager of decor, Akila? I'm going to you first. I love that you call me this because literally like your decor is incredible. If you don't see Alyssa's stuff, it's insane. Like we have the same lights. She's an influencer. She's influenced my Christmas <laughs> Listen. Like let's not <laughs> pretend. Uh, but um, uh, So yeah, the house is, I have like these little fake leaves and I have like pine cones and I make a cute table. I have the runner. Um, you know, we have like turkeys on shit. It's cute. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I mean, I dress up like the family. That's the one thing. I also like getting ready in the morning to get like cute. So it's a, uh, it's nice to have your afternoon where you're like, I look so hot. I'm wearing like, I mean, as a kid, my mom always made me wear pantyhose, which like <laughs> I yeah. don't understand, but I always think of like slippy shoes and slippy legs, and slippy dress is like, it's time. <laughs> so yeah, that's a, I definitely look really nice. I get my hair done. I do my makeup. Whoa. I did my mom's makeup last year. Yeah. That is festive. It's like, it's fun. That's festive. Yeah, I mean, it's like, because I always want to take pictures. It's like the thing you want to remember is like, we looked good and the food was at least cute in a picture. <laughs> like, jury's out on the taste. Dana, what about you? We're very, pretty casual. Um, I mean, my mom likes to like set a nice table. Like she she likes yeah. to like make it look nice. But I think it's usually just my immediate family, like my siblings and my parents and, you know, sometimes an uncle. But like, it's like jeans and a sweater. I think that's like. Jeans? But you have all day. <laughs> you have all day. Yeah. To eat. <laughs> well, you're just like with your family. You're wearing jeans while you eat the biggest meal of your life. Oh, I guess like ca- casual jeans. Just like you know, people are in normal clothes. I have no words. Is it I'm weird sorry. to do something? <laughs> Yeah, that's the one day of the year where it's like illegal. Like, what do you? All right, all right. A flowy A-line dress. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, (laughs) thank you so much. Just like casual, normal clothes. No one like dresses up. I'll like put on mascara and feel feel good about myself. You have great eyelashes. Thank you. It's usually extensions. That's okay. (laughs) They're working. They're working. Caroline, what's happening at your house? I'm like Akila. Like, we're like the real housewives where we dress up like super nice to go to our living room. Um, yes. But yes. I will wear slippers. Like, I refuse to wear actual shoes. Also, shoes in the house mm. to me is really disgusting is no? anyway. Yeah. Gross. But um, I'll wear like a real, I'll usually dress up pretty nicely and then wear slippers. And my mom decorates a very cute and Halloween y slash Thanksgiving y with like a hint of Christmas to tease the next holiday. So. It's like the white twinkle lights have been brought out. The pumpkins are still acceptable. Yeah, exactly. And as Akila said, some pine cones for good measure. <laughs> exactly. It's like that's just outside that's- in. We don't know what it's about. It's not really a season, it's a tree. <laughs> Julissa, what about you? I mean, I'm Mexican, so like we're gonna put on our whole makeup, we're gonna do our hair, we're gonna wear heels just to go to our living room like the whole thing like and it, i mean like if you don't do that you're definitely gonna somebody's gonna think something is wrong with you like what happened to you like did your boyfriend break up with you like that's Aww. the kinds of questions you ask if you're not like totally dressed up and one day when i have thanksgiving at my house you know when i'm the one hosting thanksgiving i'm gonna go like all out i'm gonna like set a really nice table and like candles and the whole the whole thing I have like I have a picture of it in my mind Aww. and one day is gonna happen not this year though that's 
<laughs> not this year. You guys, I feel we're very, uh, we're very, very casual. I think it's because we have so few hands on deck for the cooking that I would. So today I have on like a nice wool sweater. I will wear this to Thanksgiving, but I will end yeah. up in the Grateful Dead t-shirt underneath with my hair <laughs> clipped back because I'm sweating. <laughs> Yes. And uh, but we do always have a nice table. And my mom has started. It is uh, I'm not I can't remember if the Christmas greenery arrives in time for Thanksgiving some years based on mm. the based on the positioning on the calendar. But no, we're pretty mm. um, we're pretty we're pretty casual. We're sweatpants. Is your Christmas tree already out? For Thanksgiving. No, but I'm going to tell you, last year, I put the Christmas – last year was so dark. Here's how I look at Thanksgiving. It's like <laughs> when the time changes and it gets dark, the upside of that is Christmas lights. And so yes. it's like the Ugh. minute that it, the sun starts going down at 4, I want that dusk to dawn timer on and putting all yes. my outside lights on. I have mm-hmm. – so I have lights up, Jaleesa, all year on my big juniper mm. tree. Oh, juniper! That. Like juniper. Yes. Um, oh my God. Juniper. But they're white. The but they're baby. white lights. So I consider those, mm-hmm. I consider white lights non Christmassy. They're sort of like That's year round just like enjoyment. They're beautiful. So, yes, no, but the, uh, but be clear. The favorite place where Akila and I buy our Christmas lights, last year my neighbor and I went after Thanksgiving, and that was a big mistake. And so we're going before Thanksgiving. So, Julie said mm-hmm. this year there may be more lights up by the time Thanksgiving mm-hmm. rolls around, but. To me, it's just Thanksgiving kicks off cozy season, you know? Hanukkah yeah. this year is like November 28th. Yeah. It's crazy. It's really? it, Hanukkah is like literally the Monday after Thanksgiving this year, which is it so is. weird. So and we have a – my husband is Jewish, and so I keep trying to celebrate Hanukkah so that he'll let me put up extra Christmas decorations. <laughs> and he's – but Dana, he's like you. He's like, Alyssa, Hanukkah is like not a thing. Yeah, I was like, I, I was like, but I got you a Beatles Christmas ornament for the tree. <laughs> it's not a thing, but like we will do our Hanukkah presents on Hanukkah and like make lo- like any excuse to fry potatoes in oil. I will take. Delicious. Do your latkes have onions or no onions? Onions. Yeah, delicious. That, but like ch- fine, finely chopped onions. Finely chopped. Yeah, yeah not like. Not like pieces, big onions. But like, yeah. yeah. Like I, it's not like White like, Castle. Like you don't have just like tons of onions on them. I'm pretty sure. I mean, the that trick, would be weird. That the the trick that, that my mom taught me to make it easy is you combine the the, the um, cardboard box of latka, like the, the latka that you get yeah. from a store, with fresh ground potatoes. So that melds it oh. together, but then you get the fresh potato to give it some like real... I'm going to try that. I've got my Manischewitz box yeah. like down in the basement. Combine yeah. the Manischewitz box with fresh shredded potato or even shredded potato that you get at the store. Though also the New York Times recipe is quite good and quite easy. Is it? Yeah. It is. It is. I tried it. But see, this is the thing. Last year, I felt like we had to go to such lengths to make everything feel special because everything was such a dumpster fire that this year I'm like, <laughs> Manischewitz from the box is going to be just fine. <laughs> okay. So I think we have some controversial Thanksgiving takes from our listeners. Let's give them a listen. Thanksgiving's really at a terrible time of year. It's just weeks away from Christmas. By the time our Thanksgiving holiday time ends, three weeks later, we start holiday time for Christmas. So you've seen your family twice now within a span of a month. There's nothing to catch up on. 
It's often following an election. So at Thanksgiving, at the end of November, half the table hates the other half of the table because they're mad that their president didn't win. Beyond that, because Thanksgiving's in November, the color palette, I don't know, matches the earth. So all the colors are brown and orange. I just really think Thanksgiving would be better served at the end of May, beginning of June. Maybe we can even attach it to the Memorial Day week so we can all just get that full week off. Monday, Memorial Day, Thursday, Thanksgiving, you get a week off in May. Great time to vacation if you want to avoid your family. I think that Thanksgiving should really be in May or June and not November. Okay, I have to chime in as the Jew here and say that is erasure for people who don't celebrate Christmas. (laughs) We need one thing to get our families together. Also, Thanksgiving (laughs) is fall. Christmas is Mm -hmm. winter. And then in the spring, that's, I guess, we have Passover, which is like our biggest holiday, and Easter is like its own thing. So like, yeah, keep thinking, we need a fall holiday. Yeah. We need a bridge holiday between Labor Day and Christmas. Well, and Halloween. I I just feel like Halloween is so specific. Like, I'm tired of being scared. I just want to have like (laughs) colors. I just want an almond joy. (laughs) Halloween's for your friends. Thanksgiving's for your family. No offense to the listener who... Please keep listening to us. Keep listening to our our, our podcast. But um, you're wrong. And, um, <laughs> and uh, next. Yeah, uh, I want to co-sign that really quickly and also say at my Christmas or my Thanksgiving table, no one's disagreeing about the Christmas. <laughs> That's right. Same. That's right. I don't know about you guys, but we're all like, that was bad or that was good. Maybe That's why we yep. like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I enjoy Thanksgiving a lot. Hi, Asteria. So my petty Thanksgiving uh, day opinion is that aside from the tradition of it all, I don't really understand the hype around the Thanksgiving day parade. Like it's a bunch of giant balloons being walked down the street, followed by 87 marching bands and then some more giant balloons. And it's just, it's too much. It could be cooler. I, I just, I don't get it. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> Did she say it could be cooler? <laughs> Our she listeners. Said it. What is happening to them? This. <laughs> she described the most amazing thing. She's like the largest The 47. Well, like. You guys, I don't think there's a year I've ever missed the Thanksgiving Day Parade. I didn't. I watched two two minutes last year, and I was like, "This is oh, so well, the, sad." Yeah, I had it on. <laughs> I had it on. Sad. I didn't pay close attention last year. The masks yeah. were. Yeah. it was just really so. I was like, I, "This is the." She so also didn't wow. mention that there are Broadway performances. Yeah, the Broadway performances are the best. Yeah, I agreed. Love I love the watching Hands Across America teens with the white gloves. <laughs> I love yeah. those kids. The Rockettes. The Rockettes. Santa. You guys, do you know that the Rockettes are like bigger and better this year than ever? I think it's like the most Rockettes with the most dance numbers at Radio City, but then also I think in the parade. A bunch of the Rockettes have TikToks and they do really fun like behind the scene Rockette stuff. And it's like, I, I right now I'm in like full blown Rockette TikTok. It is amazing. Some, you guys. Can, can you please repost some them. of those to your Instagram? Oh yeah, well, they're like doing behind the scenes of how, they're doing behind the scenes of how they like fall backwards. Some day, Favreau will let me post the picture that we took with the Rockettes at our first Christmas at the White House because it's so good. But he doesn't love the picture the way I do because I might have been like kind of posing like a Rockette and looked really cute. And he looked a little bit like a prisoner, but that's fine because it was 
just it was a great day. Chop, cut him off the picture. I might cut have. You know what? I'll put a little emoji over his face, and then yeah, he yeah, dance. like a little. Like, I mean, star. I had. I mean, we all now will know that he's dumb. Probably, I had. But. I mean, I had on my shoes with the birds on them. I mean, I felt oh, like cute. when Carrie Bradshaw got married and put the bird on her head, I was like, oh. I was first. I put the bird on my shoe. Um, there you go. Wait. Okay. So let's do one more. My Thanksgiving hill is that. The best possible job to do is the dishes. All of the dishes, all of the drying. No one should help me. I need to be able to go in the kitchen by myself after dinner, away from everybody else, spend a good hour washing and drying the dishes. If anyone comes and says, can I help dry? I say, no, get the fuck out. This is my time. I have had to socialize for the past several hours and I just want to do my stupid dishes. I will scrub the most disgusting pans. I don't care. Baking soda is my friend. It's all good. Just give me more dishes and I'm happy. Thank you. Come over. You're invited. That yeah, says this a person's lot invited more about her family, I think, than it says about her and the dishes. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Although I will say I usually do have to do the dishes because I don't help. And I do enjoy uh, like I'll do the dishes and I'll just like have my computer next to me and I'll just like watch something while I'm doing the dishes. And it is kind of like at least a some like this most minuscule version of therapeutic at the end of the night. I mean, I hate doing it, but at least like it's kind of something you're enjoying watching something else while you do it. But I can't defend it's that. It's cathartic. I that. think um, washing dishes can be cathartic. Oh, my God. <laughs> I no. think I've never related to anything anyone has ever said. This. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like, I, like if somebody, like, that's a punishment. Like, doing the dishes is like, you're in trouble. You did something wrong. And you have to touch everyone's gross stuff. Like, I am weird about food on plates. I don't like seeing it. And so I, I can't, like, no. Like, I mean, even... Last year, thank goodness, I had like two dude friends come over uh, and they were like, we'll do it. I'm like, great. That's great. I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> I don't want to help. I think it's gross. And I also like, I'm the kind of person, if I want to be alone, I just like have those healthy boundaries. <laughs> I'm just like, fuck off for an hour. Like, I'm going to my bedroom. Like, whatever. <laughs> I don't need to like have tasks. I can just sit down. <laughs> okay, you guys, it's lightning round time. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. What's on the TV at your house on Thanksgiving? Caroline, go. Okay, really quick. This is very, very random, but I always, always, always watch the episode of Boy Meets World, the Halloween episode, um, where they're being terrorized. I don't know why. It's my favorite thing to watch on Thanksgiving, and I watch it every (laughs) single year. Uh, You're allowed to like what you like. Dana, what about you? The parade, obviously, and then the Westminster Dog Show. Yes. Okay. Mm. You and I have very parallel Thanksgivings. (laughs) Julissa, what about you? If it was my choice, football. Okay. The whole day. Um, I don't even know what we play. I think, I don't even think we have the TV on. And we're, if it is on, it's just like background noise. Mm. You guys, Living art. Nothing, nothing important. <laughs> Akila? Uh, so during the day, it's definitely sports. And then at night, it's Charlie Brown. You got to watch Charlie Brown's Thanksgiving. You got to watch Charlie Brown's cute. Thanksgiving. <laughs> Does it? We does love it. Charlie Brown's Thanksgiving come on the night before, though, or is it on Thanksgiving? Uh, 
You know, it's funny. I think it, they do kind of like repeats, right. but with all the streaming, I we just, at this point, we just play it on like Hulu or whatever. <laughs> I have Charlie Brown, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas on every DVR I have. <laughs> like, like I, I just, it's like been recorded four years ago and it still survived. <laughs> I love that for you also. I mean, this is a hill to die on that doesn't really matter, but I think the sequel to uh, the Christmas time Charlie Brown special, it's Christmas time again, Charlie Brown. Far, far exceeds <laughs> the prequel. It's excellent. It's slept on. I recommend it. Is there anyone who can tell me the meaning of what the meaning of Christmas is all about? Um, <laughs> poor Linus and Charlie Brown. Mm. Okay, you guys, we've come to the end of our Thanksgiving episode, and I have one last question for everybody. Akila, what are you thankful for? Oh, wow. What a beautiful question. Yeah, we had to round it out. Not at all unexpected. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm thankful for a lot. I'm thankful for my health. I'm thankful for the health of my loved ones. I think it's great that, you know, things are going okay right now. And that's all anybody can really ask for. And I am, uh, I'm grateful for good weather while I'm moving. Quite yeah. frankly. Like, <laughs> if it was uh, anywhere else in the country right now, it would probably be very difficult to move. And I'd probably have just set my apartment on fire <laughs> and just collected the insurance money. But I'm not going to do that. And so thank you so much for that, weather gods. Caroline, what are you thankful for? God, my controversial Thanksgiving opinion was going to be, I hate being sincere at Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm just so bad at it. That's fine. Well, the good news for you is we're recording this November 12th. (laughs) (laughs) Sincerity on November 12th is actually... I'm very grateful for my family and that we get to spend Thanksgiving together and that my niece is now a part of Thanksgiving and more, like, human in the world who can talk and it's really fun to get to hang out with her and that is as sincere as I can be. I'm only laughing because I'm thankful for her healing. Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad she's okay. I'm so sorry, Caroline. But it's just so funny. It was so, Caroline, you brought so much joy. And yeah, I'm thankful I'm for you. Um, oh, thank you. Wait, let's see. I'm thankful for the vaccine. I really am. I'm yes. so mm-hmm. grateful to be double vaxxed plus boosted, uh, even though it made me sick as fuck. Uh, small price to pay. Small price to pay. And I just hope that, like, everybody else can do that so that we can stop like wearing masks. I mean, I feel like at this point, I'm always going to kind of wear a little bit of a mask in like high traffic areas, but I am grateful for the vaccine. Julissa, what about you? I'm grateful that my nephews are here um, for Thanksgiving. Uh, It's been a really long time since I spent Thanksgiving with them. And uh, I'm just, I'm really grateful that I have the opportunity, the resources to be able to give that to them. Yeah, I'm grateful for them. Dana, what about you? I'm grateful for my family and the health of my family and, you know, now my my new fiancé, even just that we've, you know, had this year together. Uh, grateful for the 10-minute version of All Too Well by Taylor Swift. Yes. <laughs> so grateful. I am so grateful for that. I'm not. <laughs> and her patriarchy keychain. I do believe, I just want to say, I do believe that Jake Gyllenhaal would have a fuck the patriarchy keychain. <laughs> you guys. Thank you all for joining today. I wish you all a wonderful Thanksgiving of full bellies and full hearts and anything else Coach Taylor would say on Friday Night Lights. (laughs) When we're back, I'll be sitting down with legendary Today Show anchor and Thanksgiving parade expert, Katie Couric.
This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe Mushroom Coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast, no dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito, <laughs> not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you stay focused and alert throughout the day. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. We are back and with a very special guest. Her memoir, Going There, is causing quite the stir. It's available now. I'm thrilled to welcome to Hysteria the one and only Katie Couric. Hi, you guys. Katie, when I sat down to read your book, after seeing the New York Post and the ladies on The View, I was convinced that by the time I was done, I was going to have to name this pod segment, Katie Couric is the fucking worst. Um, but alas, <laughs> I'm left wondering what all the drama was about when your excerpts were released. I have read the whole book. I mean, let me tell you something. There may be a couple petty sidebars, but on our podcast, we actually have a segment called I Feel Petty. So you talking about Jeff Zucker wearing Keds is not exactly rate in our opinion. Katie, why were people so crazy? Well, by the way, I made fun of him at the time and teased him about it. Uh, so yes. Why are people crazy? That's an excellent question. Do you think it's because they don't read? I think possibly they don't read. I think they're lazy. I think that tabloid media is desperate for clicks and salacious headlines. So it was actually fascinating on one level to watch disinformation, uh, in real time 
emerge from this book. I think that, I mean, look, you look at everything about social media now. You look at the fact that Facebook prioritizes the angry face emoji. You know, clearly there's this intersection of psychology and technology that is emerging and really kind of controlling a lot of media outlets. And um, then what's fascinating to me is that kind of the the trashy tabloid press, which is very either agenda-driven or uh, needs clicks, as I said, so they're commercially driven, gets picked up by legitimate reporters who also haven't read my book. And then it just kind of cascades from there. So what really matters to me now is that the book is out. People are reading it. They're responding to it. Most of them seem to be loving it. And, um, you know, I think it's just kind of the media ecosystem where we're living in right now. And I think, you know, a lot of petty jealousy and resentment and all kinds of weird stuff emerges when someone who has been successful writes an open and honest account of their life. Um, But it's been interesting, to say the least. Well, and one of the things I would say, too, is that you're not harder on anybody in this book than you are on yourself. I mean, you you talk real talk. And one of the things that I loved, your book resonated with me in a hundred different ways. But in response, the one of the funny things about the reaction to the book is that one of the sort of themes in the book is how you really spent a lot of your career wanting to be liked. Mm-hmm. Right. And so one of my favorite quotes, which I have to read because when I read this, I just guffawed. Um, and you write, one morning when I was lying next to Jay in bed, I said the kind of thing you'd confess only to your closest friend. I used to want to be the most popular girl in school. Now I'm the most popular girl in the country. He turned to me, you're gross, he said. Then he hit me with a pillow. So I love that because I always, I mean, I care a lot about whether people like me. And this was all during the, your sort of like debut right. on the Today Show when you were the sunshiny queen of morning TV. I think you write, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but you were this gap clothing clad morning host. And if people felt like they had to dress up to watch Deborah Norville, with you, they felt like they could have eye crust and tea. And so <laughs> at what point, which was me, I loved watching you and I felt like I did feel like you were so relatable. At what point did you come to terms with the fact that not everyone was going to like you? God. Um, well, you know, my husband would claim Alyssa, that I still haven't come to terms with that, you know? Um, (laughs) So it's sort of still a work in progress. Um, You know, I think that probably it's happened incrementally throughout my life. You know, when you're judged on such a massive scale and the goal is mass popularity or palatable, you know, palatability, is that even a word? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Um, you you kind of have to, I think, um, sublimate who you really are to a certain degree in order to achieve that. Um, I think that as I got older and perhaps wiser and had strong opinions about certain things, I realized that I didn't necessarily fit into someone's perception of me or into right. this tight box that was completely unoffensive. Right. Because I think likability 
is synonymous with someone who isn't offensive, someone who doesn't stand for anything, right. someone who's such a, a blank canvas that people can project whatever it is they want to on that said individual. So I think I just started realizing as I got older, as I had certain opinions about, you know, fairly contentious issues, whether it was gun violence and the need for stricter gun regulation, or, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in abortion rights. Um, you know, I think I started realizing that in and of itself is, is pretty off-putting to a certain segment of the population. So I think it was sort of my accepting and appreciation, honestly, for the fact that I did have strong opinions about certain things. And then, you know, I think I write in the book about after my husband died and, you know, I got a little more glamorous and I kind of deep six the Ann Taylor boxy suits, which, by the way, coincided with, I think, a real shift in fashion in general, right. um, that people suddenly were like, wait, this isn't the girl next door. As I said, I went from the girl next door to the girlfriend next door. So I think I slowly rejected this idea that that people were going to form their opinions about me. At a certain point, Alyssa, I just didn't give a fuck. Good for you. And I, well, <laughs> I thought about, we, we, we were laughing when Rebecca Traster wrote that article about me. Yes. I said, you should call it Katie Couric gives zero fucks. But that's not really true at this point because I still do. I have to be honest, like some asshole tagged me on Instagram, like, and wrote to her 738 followers, like trashing my <laughs> book. And like, it was me, me, me and all about her. And I'm like, it's a fucking memoir, lady. Yes, totally. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but also, I love that you looked to see who this person was to well, see if you I, should really get that worked up about well, it. Well, no, I just thought, wow. <laughs> First of all, it's there's something a little sick about, okay, if she doesn't like my book, that's fine, whatever. As I say, it's, you know, it's not for everyone. I'm not for everyone. But like to tag me, there's something slightly sadistic about that and weird. And um, I commented on it, which is unusual. Usually I have more self-restraint. And I think I said something like, you know, I'm just happy that it is resonating with some people and I'm thrilled it's number one on the New York Times bestseller list. But you're right. Uh, this may not be everyone's jam because she said if it's, it's your jam if you like Katie Couric. And I said, and that's perfectly fine. And then I blocked Did she her. write you back? I blocked oh. her. <laughs> Which is also That's a very your, passive aggressive move, Alyssa. It's your form of therapy. You're like, I'm good now. I can move on. Yeah, exactly. That's But speaking, because you are a very funny person. And when I read through the book, I did notice that you deployed humor at certain, like very strategic points, I think, throughout your career, which is something that I have personally written about and spoken about because I did it too. And I was curious do you think that it's a tool that women employ to make men comfortable in our presence that like if we're funny and pithy, we're not too threatening and we like it, the humor makes the medicine, which would be our ideas, go down easier? I haven't thought that deeply about it. I just think I'm kind of funny. Um, I think funny. I have a good sense of humor. I think I can <laughs> laugh at myself. I think I enjoy other people's humor and, you know, even the word deploy sounds like it was, you know, that my humor is something that I very consciously, um, 
you know, put out in the world at certain moments in order to get out of sticky situations. And honestly, I just don't even think it's that deep. I just think I'm kind of funny. I see the absurdity <laughs> in certain situations. And um, I enjoy making myself laugh and making <laughs> other people laugh. So, um, you know, perhaps, yes, to get to your your original question, is it is it a device that sometimes women use? Maybe. I didn't use it that much in the workplace, sort of when I was doing, you know, quote unquote, witty repartee on the Today Show, maybe. But I think probably my shortcoming, if you could call it that, is I'm just a very direct person. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of say what I mean, and I mean what I say, and I kind of interact with people on an equal level. And I remember Jeff Zucker told me early in my career, you know, when you say things, it really resonates. You've got to be careful what you say. And I just, I hated feeling so constrained by that. And by the way, you know, it wouldn't be bitchy stuff. It would just be like conversation where you're trying to make a point or you're talking directly about something or how can we make it better. But this idea, especially that powerful women have to walk around on eggshells because if they say something that is just straightforward, it might be received in a in an exaggerated way or misconstrued. And I always thought that right. was really fucked up. I'm dropping the F-bomb a lot because I'm just super tired. It's been and a I'd long like, book tour. I'd You're like allowed to apologize to. in advance to any of your listeners who are offended. Oh, no, we... Katie, you need not worry. Okay. <laughs> we had an entire segment called Fuck That Guy. So we're in, oh, you're in okay, good company good, here. Good. You're in good company but here. But can I just say one thing? I'm just really glad, yeah. A, you read it, and B, that you don't think I am the worst. Um, no! Because, you know, it took three years to write. It was, I think, um, you know, it, it required a lot of deep thinking on my part. It required a lot of of self-reflection. It it required a lot of kind of unearthing all kinds of experiences that I've been through. And it's it really was written in a way that, um, you know, I could be just honest with people. And if, why, you know, I saw this thing on Instagram, Alyssa, that said, you don't like everyone, so why should everyone like you? So I gave my honest assessment. And for the most part, um, I think I was incredibly generous with almost everyone in the book, except for probably uh, less than a handful of guys who really deserved it. I agree entirely. And I thought that when I when I read through it, that it really was like a self-reflection. And I like that because, I mean, you are, you are prolific. I have written two books. And when I wrote the first one, I literally had diarrhea for the entire, like when you send it, when you have the last set of edits that you send in and it's out of your hands and you're just like, oh my God, is everyone going to hate me? And it wasn't, it was really, you know, when I went through it, I was like, is this a story that's mine to tell? Is it about me or is it about somebody else? And if it passed the test that it was about me, I'm like, I don't care if anyone doesn't like it because this is my story. Right, exactly. And I did have the same thing. I had a bunch of people who tagged me in their book reviews. (laughs) 
that were like this unserious person. And I was like, did you read the fucking book jacket? This was not an opus about my spot in history. (laughs) This was like, how did I end up from some small town in upstate New York and like sitting next to the Oval Office? Right. If you can't get on board with that, then like, I don't know what to tell you. Well, it's it's funny, you know, uh, what, you know, you always think of the man in the arena speech by Teddy Roosevelt. And, you know, it's just like you put yourself out there and you have to expect people to to trash you, especially in this day and age. But listen, you know, when all is said and done, I love this book I've written. My daughters uh, consider it a gift. They both called me with full on ugly cries after they read the chapters about their dad. They, um, you know, they respect kind of my, my honesty and the way I handled all kinds of situations where I was confronted by, you know, the grossest kind of misogyny. And um, honestly, if if somebody takes some meaning from this book about kind of persistence, about resilience, about uh, keeping going, about still, you know, having the capacity to find joy out of like seizing, you know, totally seizing opportunities, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, I've achieved my goal. And, um, and, and I just think, I just think we live in a, a really weird time where people like to pile on. And again, I think it says a lot more about the culture than it would ever say about the fact that I wrote a memoir. I have to say, when I got to, so I both read your book and listened to some chapters and the audiobook, because when I started reading the chapters that you wrote about your husband, Jay, I could, I'm like, I'm going to stop reading. So I have to listen to get through it because I wanted to actually hear you tell it. And I was full on ugly cry uh, the entire time, but it was also such an important sort of it's not a lesson, but it's an important thing that you say that the whole time, you know, here you were on television putting on a happy face. The minute the camera was off, you were literally psychotically tracking down doctors across the country to try to find ways to help him. And that ultimately when it came close to the end of his life, you realized that he knew all along that this was not going to end well, but that he actually let you deal with his illness the way you needed to deal with it, which was by being so busy and trying to save everything. And I, I just, um, that's why I just loved your, I, I mean, I said it before, but I loved your book so much because I thought that was such an astute, uh, self-reflection. Um, but also just like, uh, it was a real gut punch that part, but Onto something lighter. On a lighter note, as we used on to a, say. On a lighter, on a lighter <laughs> note, Jesus Christ. 120 people were killed. On a lighter note, um, on a, Thanksgiving desserts. Going back to that, to the turkey recipe. Yeah. people we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high whether it's keeping the senate taking back the house or stopping republicans at the state level if you're ready to make a real difference sign up for vote save america's 2024 volunteer program 
And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com and this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidates committee. You know, so much of what you write is, I mean, it's like everything that people want in a memoir by someone like you. It's got the interviews and it's got the drama and it's got some wonderful things. And so I have a question. Yeah. Was there ever a time when you were sitting down to interview someone and you sort of had to, you had a line of questioning that you had set up, you had answers you thought they were going to give, but that it kind of like went off the rails and you had to sort of abandon your original plan and pivot on the spot? I mean, a lot. I talk about the one where George Herbert Walker Bush came in uh, unexpectedly after I was getting a tour of the White House from Barbara Bush talking about the Dolly Madison tea set, et cetera, because it was the anniversary of the, the construction of the White House. And he popped in unexpectedly. So that was probably the most vivid uh time for me that I had to completely like and suddenly <laughs> change directions. I have to say at that in that interview, I did have Jeff Zucker in my ear because, you know, I was thinking about that interview in the last couple of the days and I was so, so focused on learning everything in the White House and the provenance of all these antiques and paintings and the John Singer Sargent and yada, 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 that, you know, this whole, it was during the Iran-Contra stuff and it was, you know, all kinds of things were happening in the world. And honestly, I wasn't prepared to do a full-on interview with the president of the United States. <laughs> so Jeff was incredibly helpful because I I thought I was going to run out of questions. You know, I was just kind of stunned that he was suddenly in front of me and Jeff was helping me kind of guide me with some some suggestions in my ear, which was really, really helpful. But that, I think is the the probably the most memorable example of really having to pivot. Um, but there, I think, you know, that happens all the time where you have kind of a set of questions and you go off script because someone has said something interesting or provocative or surprising. So you have to just listen and then hopefully understand enough about the topic you're exploring with that individual that you can then turn and kind of go in a completely different direction. Now, that is a good question, in my opinion, but I just, it's hard for me to to think of really specific examples about it because it happens so often. And I think if you are a good interviewer, you know, that ability to listen and process things in real time and your willingness to kind of diverge from what was planned is is really key, I think, to an interview that's much more illuminating than kind of going down a series of eight or nine questions. Right. 
Do you, so we talked a little bit about it before, and especially when I read about some of the interviews you gave that in the end ended up being a little bit controversial, like when you interviewed Matthew Shepard's parents. Right. Uh, Matthew Shepard was a gay student at the University of Wyoming who had been beaten, tortured, and left to die back in 1998. And there was a reaction. Like, I think you write that the minute that the interview finished airing, that the NBC switchboards were lighting up. That was the governor of Wyoming. Um, Oh, right, right. Yes. So that was about the Matthew Shepard murder. It was just absolutely a horrendous story. And I asked the governor of Wyoming about conversion therapy, which I think actually was pretty a pretty prescient question because conversion mm-hmm. therapy hadn't gotten a lot of attention. And I, I was asking him about if, if in fact, um, you know, that might have set, created an atmosphere that was very homophobic. And mm-hmm. um, I got James Dobson and the focus on family people just went ballistic on me. You know, but that's an example of, you know, when you do a show that is designed for mass consumption, you have to really tread carefully um, when it comes to asking really tough questions. I tried to do that, um, but I was also very mindful, and I include a lot of the viewers' responses when I did get tough, um, where in a way, and I think it gets back to what we were talking about earlier, it didn't fit into this box of this cheerful, relatable girl next door. And I think that's one of the themes that I talk about in the book. You know, as a morning show person, you're you're supposed to have this certain patina. And yet when you're doing serious interviews about controversial s- subjects and you do feel like there is a moral imperative to point out certain things, Right. Um, you know, you risk alienating viewers. So mm-hmm. especially if you're a woman, I think, uh, you know, Bryant could do it and be respected and considered like a tough interviewer. It was much trickier for me because I was sort of seen as as the bomb that soothed or kind of um, right. helped smooth over some of Bryant's rough edges. So you know, the whole thing is a very interesting thing about imagery and how you project and misogyny and patriarchy and all those things that I think have put certain requirements on women, especially when they're right. public figures and when they are, you know, well-known. And then, of course, there's a second layer of that when they become successful so I, I think the whole thing is is super interesting, almost from a sociological or, or perhaps even anthropological vantage point. Do you think that now, so knowing that those kinds of interviews that you prepared for, the, the sort of outrage machine, for example, the interview with the governor about Matthew Shepard may have caused, those were somewhat few and far between. And if you were starting out now, mm-hmm. would you have a hard time sort of quieting in your head when you're preparing with your questions to be like, I know I'm going to get ratioed on Twitter for this. I know I'm going to get dragged for this. Would that would that be hard to tune out? Maybe, but I think, you know, I was talking to Savannah Guthrie about this because she was part of my tour and we had a conversation in Philadelphia. And, you know, she was saying that that sort of all these reporters on Twitter that it's not something that she feels comfortable with. 
all these reporters kind of giving their opinions and dragging other reporters and kind of, I think, being part of this media echo chamber where they're all trying to one-up and impress each other instead of serve sort of the average information consumer. Um, I would hope that I would put that aside, but I'm sure it would influence me to a certain degree. It's an interesting question because when you think about it, during the Trump era especially, some of the reporters that you reference, it's like they actually became part of the story, which is kind of what I think you always try not to do. Right. And whether it was Trump attacking them and it turning into a viral moment and they get thousands of new followers, it's it was hard in some instances to take some of their reporting seriously because they were making themselves part of the story. Right, right. And uh, I mean, I do think about journalists uh, having to report during the era of Trump and how how tricky it, it is because it you know, we're not talking about two disparate political philosophies with people who believe in less government or people who believe in more government. It, we're talking about people who believe in institutions and the rule of law and people who don't. <laughs> so, right. you know, this whole idea of even kind of having the appearance of objectivity, which is a tricky notion in and of itself, is virtually impossible. And you know, this this whole bifurcated media environment that I think has been ushered in by the the cult of Trump or the Trump supporters um, mm-hmm. is really hard to navigate. I think if you're trying to replicate kind of traditional mainstream media sensibilities. Right. So when you first came on to the Today Show. It was 1991? Yeah. Is that right? Mm-hmm. As, a, as a full anchor? So this is that's before the 24-7 news cycle really took hold. Do you think, was it? Well, I right? mean, I would say CNN was around, but it was before Twitter. It was before iPhones, right. which miraculously came about in 2008. It was before Instagram. It was before sort of all these social media outlets. And so, yes, it was such a different world. And, you know, I've been working with this Aspen Commission on Disinformation. And, uh, you know, one of the commissioners reminds us or reminded us during some of our conversation, you know, be careful to describe those as the good old days. Because those were days where it was basically the purview of white men who were running all these... um, organizations and companies. And a lot of people who didn't have a voice didn't have an outlet for those voices. So I want to be careful when I talk about that. But but it really is interesting when you think about, I was just reading a Pew report, Alyssa, where many, many more people are now getting their news and information from their phones than television. Mm-hmm. I think it was like 50% from their phones, 35% from television, I believe. Um, I'll have to go, you should look at this Pew survey because I think it just came out today. And um, it was just a very, very different world. And when you had so many people, I think getting their news and information from one place, I think that quest to be palatable and and inoffensive and probably to um, pull your punches was more pervasive than it is now. Somewhere, somehow, I think, you know, the balance is off now, but I'm not saying it was right before either. 
One of my favorite chapters in the book was called The Booking Wars. Oh my God, that was so fun to write. So one, everyone who's listening should go get your book or listen to it. They should enjoy themselves because it's so enjoyable. But will you, so one of the things I thought was interesting is The Booking Wars, you know, in this very online Zoom world now, I think that people don't totally appreciate what you had to go through to get guests on your show. And also, so could you talk a little bit about some of the hairy antics that you did to get guests on the show and what the wars were like, but also why it seems that it was only the women who were engaged in the booking wars. I think that's a good question that I sort of attempt to answer, but to quickly explain to people who are listening. So back in the 90s and early 2000s, when there weren't a a bazillion outlets for people, when they couldn't go direct to consumer and talk to their fans about something that they had done or Chrissy Teigen couldn't write on Medium, you know, what it meant to be canceled or, you know, um, there were, you know, a trillion podcasts and everybody had an Instagram account, et cetera, et cetera. There were not that many places where people could tell their stories. And so if, you know, Hugh Grant picked up a prostitute in California and he needed to kind of do a mea culpa, he would go on Jay Leno And that was considered a huge get. I think the ratings were through the roof when Jay Leno famously asked Hugh Grant, what the hell were you thinking? So you had all these big news stories, especially in the 90s, whether it was Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan, Lorena Bobbitt, you know, cutting off John Bobbitt's penis and throwing it out (laughs) the window, um, you know, which actually was a serious domestic violence story that was later explored in a documentary. But back then it was just like, oh my God, you know, can you believe this crazy story? And so um, getting these people uh, to talk about what happened to them was a huge deal. It translated into promotion. It translated into ratings. It translated into, I think, for some of the female correspondence as, you know, an add a girl or wow, she really delivered. And so your standing was enhanced in the organization. So for some reason, it was the women, I think, I mean, it's interesting because I, I write about this, how the gatekeepers were often these male lawyers and the women, they didn't really prostitute themselves, but they definitely employed their feminine wiles. I was a very funny part when I talk about the lawyer for the caning victim, uh, Michael Fay. Uh, and and it was clear that these lawyers got off on all these women calling them and, you know, stroking their egos and trying to get their clients to go on television. And the links that the shows went to where, you know, someone would send a town car to the hotel and say, there's been a change of plans. You're actually supposed to go to Good Morning America before the Today Show, and I'm here to take you. And some of these people, honestly, were not that sophisticated. They hadn't really been on television before. They often, you know, didn't live in big metropolitan areas since they would say, okay. And I mean, it was just insane. People would sleep basically in front of people's hotel rooms to make sure the competition didn't somehow nab them. And I was talking to a friend of mine recently, I wish I had before I had written this book, where she told me about this doctor in Kentucky who was branding uteruses with UK for the University of Kentucky. I guess after he performed hysterectomies, one of his patients found out about it, went 
crazy, sued him, and she became this really big story. So my friend had booked her for Good Morning America. We found out. I called her personally and talked her into coming on the Today Show. She called my friend who was a booker and said, I'm sorry, I just talked to Katie Couric. I I love her. I have a change of plans. My friend had to work all weekend, was totally freaked out, had to get Diane to call and get the interview back. P.S., the lady flies up. My friend takes her out to dinner. Then Diane goes to do a jailhouse interview with Scott Peterson. So she's not even on the show. So they couldn't let the woman they booked know that. They put her basically in a soundproof booth without any monitors. So she couldn't see all the promotions that Diane was interviewing Scott Peterson. And I mean, just... My friend, I think probably, you know, aged 15 years that weekend. But that those were the kind of insane machinations that went on where, you know, it was just the competition was so ruthless and so insane, but in retrospect, so hilarious. And it was really fun to write about that because I think I said it was the last lurid gasp of the new millennium or something. And, <laughs> and it was just also, all the stories were so tabloidy. I can't really do it justice talking about it, but if people read that chapter, I have to say that was one of the most fun chapters for me to write. It was one of the most fun for me to read. Um, so another thing that was important to me, and this is less of a question and more of a thank you, is that I I have colon issues. I have a gastrointestinal issues. And when I turned 40, five years ago, uh, I had to get a colonoscopy and I was so scared, so scared. And I remembered that on the Today Show, after your husband passed from colorectal cancer, you got a colonoscopy on TV. Yes. It didn't spare anything. And so- yes. I, when I was going to get my colonoscopy, I must have watched that segment five times because I was scared and I was like, it's fine. I'm going to be fine. Katie did it on TV. I'm going to be fine. And we're actually going to put that in our show notes for this episode because people have not been getting their mammograms and their colonoscopies because of COVID. And so if you need one and you haven't gotten one, please go Get one. And you know, that's such an important point because you're right. A lot of people put off life-saving screening during the pandemic. And the figures are really scary about the number mm-hmm. of people who may die because their cancers weren't detected at a point where they could really be cured. So I really appreciate you telling people that. And even like your younger listeners should make sure their parents get it or their you know, anybody over the age of 45, because they've lowered it, the American Cancer Society, because it's for some inexplicable reason, a lot more young people are being diagnosed with colorectal cancer in their 30s and early 40s. And so that's really important. But also they can talk to their doctor because one of the things I think there are other tests that you can do that are less expensive and maybe um, a little bit easier. And I'm not saying that to say, don't get a colonoscopy if your insurance covers it and you feel like you have a good endoscopist who could do that, um, by all means, a, a screening colonoscopy at 45 is critically important. But there are also other tests and you can talk to your doctor about that as well. 
it made me feel so safe, especially when I laid on the table and the doctor was like, are you okay? I'm like, it's okay. I'm a little scared, but I know it's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, and also the drugs are really good. You know, when I got so mine. So much better. When I got mine. And the prep is better now too. When I it did is. it, I drank, you know, this huge gallon container of, of something that was so inappropriately called <laughs> Go Lightly. And I was like, who the hell <laughs> named this product? But um, now, now the prep is easier and the the propofil gives you a really mm-hmm. nice sleep and when i got it i wanted to be able to talk and you can just totally right. be out and you wake up and it's done and you know it's just it's just really important because if you have a polyp that has the potential as you know to become cancerous if it grows it can go penetrate through the colon wall metastasize on other organs as it did with jay when he was diagnosed he had cancer all over his liver and right. um, so that's why it's really, really important. And, you know, the University of Michigan showed that colonoscopies went up 20% after I did that, which- The Couric you know, effect. Yeah, I know, which is really incredible. And and I'm not patting myself on the back, but what I'm saying is, you know, those are a lot of people walking around today who wouldn't have been if they hadn't right. gotten screened. So, you know, the real message is that screening saves lives and and people need to do it. Okay, Katie, last question. Last yeah. question. It's a humdinger. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> but it's really not. So uh, because it's Thanksgiving and you spent years as the dowager of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Not only that, I have several Emmys to to prove that, Alyssa, for my incredible um, work at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. So all that said, do you have any particularly special memory of the parade? Let's see. Well, I used to love doing it with Willard Scott because Willard was just so funny, but also (laughs) kind of um, a little bit scatterbrained. And I used to have to hit him on his stomach to start talking because sometimes he would get so carried away and I would just smack him and he would start talking. So we had this very funny relationship uh, when we did the parade together, because it was just sort of a hot mess. But um, I, d- you know, it was just fun. I, my daughter was on the Hillary Duff float, and I think that's what she has on her Insta bio that she was um, a proud participant on Hillary Duff's float. I think she played like a, a, a little baker when she was about eight years old. So um, it was really fun when my kids, I think occasionally I I would stick them on a float because they had to wait for me to be finished with the parade before we went anywhere for Thanksgiving. So that was fun. And then, you know, there were always wind issues. And then, uh, you know, where Barney wasn't aloft (laughs) enough. And I would, you know, Barney was a big show. Was that a big show for you when you were a kid? Probably not. Yeah. It probably came about 15 years later. But um, I used to say, he's super-de-duper. And, you know, and then I always felt bad for the, you know, members of the dance troops who would have to do the splits when it was raining. I'd be like, that must be very uncomfortable. (laughs) Katie Couric, thank you for coming on Hysteria. Your new book, Going There, is out now and people should read it. Thank you so much, Alyssa. I really appreciate it. Thanks for reading it and thanks for liking it. And thanks for wondering what the hell they were talking about. (laughs) 
Thank you to Jalisa, Dana, Akila, Caroline, Katie, Couric, and to you, the listener. We're so thankful to you, and we wish everyone a very happy Thanksgiving. And we'll be back next week, and Jalisa will be co-hosting. I am from another planet. This nation is our Janet. But these girls got a fan it. Y2K email and scan it. Don't take no for an... Hysteria is a crooked media production. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroote. <laughs>